Hi, and welcome to Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey. And today we are joined by not one, but two absolutely amazing authors, Tessa Dare and Jody Pico. So thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I'm so excited. <laughs> so listeners, if you don't know either of these authors by some fascinating chance, uh, then today is your lucky day to learn about them. So Tessa Dare is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of over 20 Regency romances. And if you're a romance reader, chances are pretty high that you've read and loved one of her books already. And Jody is an award-winning and number one best-selling author of 26 novels, including My Sister's Keeper and Small Great Things. Many of her works have also been adapted to the big screen, the small screen, and the stage. Uh, now, it seems very inadequate to sum up these acclaimed authors so insufficiently, but today we're not really here to talk about them. We are here to talk about Bridgerton and later, more specifically, Anthony Bridgerton, because as we know, Netflix has confirmed that he will be the star love story of season two. <laughs> yes. Was there any doubt, yep. really? Oh, Not in my I'm, heart. <laughs> he's going to dominate the social season. So. Ah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and the reason that, you know, we invited Tessa here uh, was because of her love of Anthony Bridgerton <laughs> and Tessa. Um, I've been really you, subtle about it on social media. Yeah, yeah, I don't know really how to you guessed. <laughs> and then Tessa um, asked if Jody could join us as well. Um, and I, I hear Jody that you are also Anthony Bridgerton's number one fan. Yes, we share custody. Mm-hmm. Tessa and I, yeah. Excellent. I've only been talking about Anthony through every single one of these episodes, so I'm really happy to be joined by my people. (laughs) It's really strange to me to see people who've never been introduced to the series and maybe have never read romance even um, say that they're you know, they're disappointed that the next season's going to be about Anthony because, oh, he's such a jerk in, the, in season one. And, and us romance readers are like, yes, that's exactly why it's going to be amazing. I know. And I'm like, you don't understand. His redemption is so good. It's so good. Ugh. And just, I, I, I love his character from this year, which I know we can't like get there yet, but seriously, like it's ex- exactly what you said he did it perfectly. And so that's why it's going to be so good. Anyhow. Okay. So speaking of Viscount Bridgerton, before we get into this uh, discussion, we wanted you guys to have a chance to tell the readers what your relationship was to the Bridgerton books. If this was something that I feel like Tessa, yes, you've, you've read Bridgerton, but Jody, is this something that you've read before? Absolutely. Yeah. And I knew that it was coming out as a series and I couldn't wait. It was like the best Christmas gift ever. So Tessa, how would you describe your relationship with the Bridgerton books? Oh, wow. I mean, when I started writing romance, they were books that I went to, to, you know, kind of just learn from. This is so good. And, you know, uh, Julia Quinn is incredibly difficult to learn from because she's one of those people. It just makes it look so easy. You know, it's really hard to pin down exactly what she does. That's right. But she's just herself, which, so um, I probably set myself up for uh, a lot of self-doubt in trying to learn from her books. But <laughs> I just, you know, I just love that series. And, and um, again, when the series went to um, Netflix, it was just 
And then it's Shonda. And then you hear like Julie Andrews is going to do Lady Whistledown. And it just got more and more amazing. And you know, you could tell that there's this is not going to be a low budget production. And mm-hmm. to see all of that just culminate in this gorgeous ab- adaptation, just beautiful for the eyes and amazing music and casting. It's just, it's just like all I've talked about for a month. <laughs> Cheers on that one. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. So we've already sort of alluded to this, but uh, we still like to ask all of our guests if you guys have a favorite book or character and why. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe second favorite too is, is fair game. Tessa, what would you say to that? Um, well, actually, obviously, my favorite character now is Anthony. I. <laughs> that's- <laughs> That's not going to come as a surprise. However, I I do love um, romancing Mr. Bridgerton as well. I know it's kind of like a a reader favorite of the series, especially because Penelope gets her story and you you really root so hard for her. I think Mm -hmm. that that is a very satisfying story as well. So I, I never, I have a hard time picking favorites. I don't think that none of these characters or books would be, as good as they are without the whole family uh, dynamic around them. So I, I think it's almost um, impossible to choose favorites. I know Julia refuses to. People are always asking her which her favorite X or Y from that series is. And she just says, like, stop asking me that question. <laughs> so yeah. I, I know it's kind yeah. of an unfair question. But uh, Jody, do you have any answer as well? Yeah, I mean, definitely, I like the, I like the second book for the same reason that Tessa does because it's it's all Anthony all the time, so we're gonna love that. But I really liked um, is it is to Sir Philip with love, right? That's Eloise's book. Yeah, because I love her. I love her as a character, but I also am so curious to see how this is going to play out in the series mm-hmm. because they've made some really interesting departures that are going to shake out. In you know, I don't know how they're going to resolve all that. Um, so I'm really curious to see what happens as, as they go on. Me too. Absolutely. <laughs> and so talking about things that are being adapted onto the screen. So Tessa, many people have been crying out for Spindle Cove to be the next screen historical romance adaptation. Wouldn't that be lovely? Yeah. <laughs> but do you have anything else of any of your other series you'd love to see on a, any size screen? Um. Somebody wants to take any of them. (laughs) They can have them with my blessing. Um, But yeah, Spindle Cove would be really cool because it's in one little community. And so they can Mm -hmm. kind of bounce off each other in that respect. But yeah. I just, I would be thrilled. I'm not going to be, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to pretend that I wouldn't be thrilled for anything to be adapted. But I really hope that we do see more adaptations of romance in general. I mean, I see a lot of more people, especially in contemporary romance, selling rights. And it's really mm-hmm. exciting. I think that what this series hopefully has proved to Hollywood is that readers really will show up for a story that is focused on romance and ends happily. That's It's really rare in television to see that kind of a arc through a series and just have it end with two people in love and happy. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times people, um, I say Hollywood, but you know, uh, film and TV people have thought that that just can't be compelling for some reason, but hopefully it's, that's been proven wrong. 
I think it almost feels like right now is the right time because we're in a world where people need to see a happy ending because there don't seem to be too mm-hmm. many around us. So true. And right. And so that's one thing. And the other thing is that also because of the pandemic, we've seen such a rise in streaming services and in streamed content. And a lot of romance series allow for multiple seasons. A lot mm-hmm. of general fiction titles do not. And, you know, when you're selling to Netflix or to Hulu, they want to know that there's a future in it. So in a way, this might be the time, you know, this might be just the right moment. I can't wait to watch them all. <laughs> I, hope, <laughs> I really hope it is the moment because it's just been, it's been very rewarding to see this come to life in such a well done way. Um, And it's so nice that the first, you know, thing of this genre in this age that is done is like done with such care and Mm -hmm. frankly budget, you know? Mm -hmm. So because if it hadn't been, I I just, I don't think we would be necessarily talking about it the same way. Yeah, no. God bless Shauna. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So Jody, you've had a few things adapted to the screen. Um, but what was it like for you when that first happened? Do you, you know, back, uh, I think it was 2002 that I read that was your first thing adapted. And what was that process like for you or the call or? The first thing of mine that, that was adapted, um, I'm trying to remember which, which piece it was. I think it was, it might've been plain truth or the, pa- no, it was the pact. And it was great because um, it actually had a really jaded and painful history to uh to being translated into a tv movie i had at one point um been co-writing the screenplay with a guy who fought for the rights and told me that oh this is a good story he told me that (laughs) the reason he deserved the rights as opposed to the other three people who wanted them was because he had a brother who killed his girlfriend and then killed himself. And the book was about a suicide pact. And I was like, oh my gosh, he totally gets it. And I gave him the rights and he asked me to work on on the screenplay with him. And I did for a year and found out about a year into it that he never even had a brother. wow that's a turn i was uh, not expecting and i mean honestly like uh, that was a very good introduction to hollywood for me because there's been a lot of that in my adaptation career um i've had some great experiences but i've also had some really terrible experiences where i've been lied to i didn't have a good experience um, when my sister's keeper was being translated into film again, mm-hmm. it was just a bad situation where I was lied to by the director and screenwriter and kicked off the set and marched oh into gosh. New Line Cinema to say, you're going to lose money on this. And they did. It, I mean, it's just the problem with too many adaptations is that people assume readers don't matter and writers don't matter. The, the mm-hmm. uh, you know, source material writers. And I think this is a terrific instance, Bridgerton's a terrific instance of showing what happens when you are careful about getting a writer's backing and a writer's fans on board, you know, Mm -hmm. because the great success of this series is because it was seeded by all of those original readers from, you know, Julia Quinn's work. Yeah, I mean, and we were just discussing this um, in another episode that we recorded about how we feel... um, that we were taken care of as fans. We really do. We feel like, you know, the things they, they, they took a lot that was very true to the books or 
scene for scene or even some lines that were really from the books and, you know, gave that to us. And then the liberties that they took and changed and things that they changed um, were exciting and felt like they were done with care. You know, they weren't just done, you know, because of cinema or for lack of a, you know, of a better term, but or even it, just gratuitous. Hey, we decided to throw that in there for funsies. Right. And yeah. you know, the first thing you do when you adapt a piece is that you go through the piece and you like highlight the stuff that you can't get rid of because you know, that's what the original readers or the original, you know, fans want to see. So mm-hmm. I, I, that makes total sense. It's okay to depart from the source material as long as you carry the heart of the story with you. And they absolutely did that. Well, I can't agree more, uh, but we're (laughs) going to talk more about that. However, I feel like we should start uh, into our synopsis of episode eight. Uh, So Kelsey, you want to take us away on the synopsis? Yes. So Daphne and Simon are hosting the final ball of the season, which at this point is marking the end of their relationship. They've decided that they can't reconcile their differences and they must go their separate ways. However, Daphne finds letters Simon wrote to the old Duke from when he was a child and finally learns the reason behind Simon's hatred towards his father and being so determined to not produce heirs for the dukedom. And Daphne, during the ball, tells him that a person does not have to be perfect to be worthy of love and kind of helps Simon to see that he really can give love a chance. He's deserving of love. And maybe a marriage and family is exactly what he needs to heal his heart. And then Marina is unfortunately back to square one. And then we get even worse news when we do finally hear back from her, Sir George, and it's unfortunately to hear that he's been killed in battle. And the person who delivered this news is his brother, the newly minted baronet, Sir Philip Crane, who we know by our Bridgerton readings. (laughs) And so basically he shows up and intends to do right by Marina and offers to fulfill his brother's wishes and take his place. So Marina and their child will be taken care of. And while she's initially reluctant, Marina sets off to marry Sir Philip as it's really kind of the best option she has. Things don't work out much better for the Featheringtons. Lord Featherington talks Will Mondrick, the boxer, into throwing a boxing match so they can capitalize on the odds. And It does feel like it tarnishes Will's honor. However, it does secure his finances. Unfortunately, it does not secure Lord Featherington's because he is then killed by the people he gambled with and the family is robbed of all those potential monies that he had. So Lady Featherington discovers she's a widow and also super broke. But for the Bridgertons, all's well. Daphne and Simon are reconciled and they produce an heir in no time flat. Colin is off on a grand tour at last. Francesca came back from Bath. Yay, we finally see Francesca again. And Eloise is, well, Eloise. Benedict remains great, and Anthony announces his intention to find a woman to make his Viscountess, just without all that love stuff, you know, to get in the way. And then, in our very last scene, we have... The awe-inspiring, the, sorry, we have the cliffhanger of all cliffhangers. We have the the revelation of who Lady Whistledown is. And it is our very own Penelope Featherington. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) 
and a whole bunch of other stuff happens, but you know, here we're going to just, <laughs> we're going to chat, but that's the, the sum up of episode eight, um, which is a jam packed episode that like gets into the epilogue even of the Duke and I, like it's, it's the whole shebang. Mm-hmm. Many people were shocked to find that the Duke and I ended completely during the first season. And I was like, but that's how romance novels work. <laughs> Yep. So with that, shall we adjourn to the parlor? We shall. All right, guys, this is our last Bridgerton episode, but if... But it's a... Crazy stunner, so we're not going to keep you in the parlor for long. No. And if you do want to interact with us about this Bridgerton recap, please be sure to use the hashtag BEE by Bridgerton so that we see it. If you want to get in touch about this or any other episode or give us recommendations for future episodes, you can email us at romancepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at T is in Tom and is in Nancy Strumpets, on Facebook slash T and Strumpets, or YouTube by searching our name. And again, we are looking to hopefully unlock some new YouTube features by upping our subscriber count. So if you are enjoying the podcast, but maybe you don't listen on YouTube, if you've got a YouTube account, we would so appreciate it if you just hit that subscribe to help us get there. And we'll have a handy link to that in our show notes. Yes. And as a new month is almost upon us, if you want to be in the know about what's coming up, you can sign up for email notifications on our website. You'll know what we're reading next month, as well as get all sorts of extras, including exclusive content from authors we interview, which, surprise, there's one coming up. Um, you can subscribe on our website at romancepod.com and you can find episodes, more information about us and other resources. So take a look. And finally, if you've enjoyed our Bridgerton recaps, we would love to hear about it and possibly in the form of a review. Uh, Reviews on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever else you can review us really help other listeners find the podcast. It really ups our visibility. So if you've got a few minutes to either click five stars or write a quick review, we would be so honored. And I do want to take a quick second to say to the listener who left a review saying that they loved hearing baby Serafina. I so appreciate you. (laughs) Uh, And I think you guys are going to hear quite a bit of her this episode. So uh, she may have been a a bit noisy. I haven't done the editing yet when we're recording the parlor, but um, apologies if she's a little noisy, but hopefully you enjoy her like the reviewer did. Excellent. So what did you guys think of this episode in particular as a finale and as a, as a season one completion, as a romance, like we said, as we get the epilogue also? What did you guys think? I remember thinking there was so much in it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it almost could have been pulled out to two episodes. Plus, you know, I knew it was coming to the end. I wanted that extra episode. Um, <laughs> and I remember thinking when I saw the epilogue that that was going to be really interesting because they're going to have to jump backwards in time to pick up season two. Yes. Right? Yes, they are. 
Oh yeah. If, if it's like right there, it's going to be that jump back or they're going to just not even like think about about it. Kid, I don't know. (laughs) Good question. Well, they were very wise to only show Daphne Simon and uh, Violet in that scene so that, you know, they don't Mm -hmm. have to give away anything about where any of the other siblings are. So I remember as I was watching this episode, so I have an infant. And so I watch TV very differently than I used to. (laughs) And I, we got to Will's boxing match and I was just like, oh, I just don't care about Will's boxing match. Like, I don't care. (laughs) And then it was like, and then I was like, oh, I needed to care. I needed to care about this line because of Lord Featherington and all of that. Um, And so, yeah, so speculations here, like, I I guess like, uh, you know, our initial thought was maybe like, okay, so in the books, Penelope is the one who's financing her family at some point because because um, she has Lady Whistledown money and they they don't have a lot of money. So that was the only reason that like I could think of that they kind of put that storyline. But do you guys have any thoughts about like speculations about Mr. Featherington's death and who the heir is? Oh, quite honestly, I wasn't that interested in Will's boxing match either. I was like, totally, no, here's what I was interested in. What Anthony and Sienna did under the bleachers. I mean, something about this, this, um, I say bleachers. I know that's not what they were called, but so much of this arc for just the two of them within this uh, episode reminded Mm -hmm. me of like an 80s teen movie. It's like they make out under the bleachers shows up at her house with like the Regency equivalent of a boombox. Like just (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but anyway, yeah, I I don't know where they're going to go with that. In the books, isn't isn't Lord Featherington? Well, I don't even think he's a lord in the books, but isn't he already dead? Um, yeah, already dead. So yeah. 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 So I'm not, I, I'm really unsure where that's going to go. Yeah. I'm also kind of bringing that up with, well, I, that's a storyline in and of itself kind of, and it was a kind of a peripheral one, but those characters were really fleshed out and you got to know them and you liked them. So I'm kind mm-hmm. of interesting, interested to see how they're going to, you know, return in later the series later on, because the one thing in the announcement is they said, even like the side characters are going to be returning. Like there's no one that's disappearing from the cast. So I'm, but they'll just be a little bit there differently. Well, but, but they did leave that open because he Mm -hmm. threw a match, you know, so he could, for all, you know, people could come after him because he, he, screwed up their bets i mean if anything it's easier to to come up with a storyline for someone who doesn't exist in the books yes very true so i'm just very interested to see what happens there and even though i wasn't that interested in his boxing i loved will and alice as a couple they were i mean they're Mm -hmm. the best adjusted couple in the in the whole series (laughs) clearly and committed to making it work and take care of their family and just their goals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then I guess the biggest revelation of the series was that they did, they, you know, they unmasked Lady Whistledown in season one. What did you guys think about that? Because we've had, you know, we've had lots of conversations on that. And I think everybody has different opinions on um, whether they should or shouldn't have. <laughs> they had to, they had to, because they had no idea if they were going to have a season two. True. Very true. Oh, <laughs> that, that makes sense. That they had to sense. make people want to come back for more. 
Right. And there's also, you know, from, from like a, a, the point of view of a viewer to know more than the cast does is kind of a really interesting setup. Now, you know, we know more than all of the Bridgertons do. And that's going to be fun for us, particularly when Colin comes back from his tour. Yes. I also felt really excited when Sir Philip Crane showed up because talking about knowing more than the characters do, I was over, I know more than even some of the watchers do. And I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) You know, it's crazy because I knew that Marina Thompson was a character in the books, but I forgot. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, at, at episode six, when they said George Crane, my brain just went like, I'm sorry. Wait, Crane? Yeah. Wait a minute. Right. Oh my God. Philip. Oh, wait, Marina. Oh my God. You know, so it was uh, like this really yeah. like moment where as a reader, I just like, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's a really interesting thing with season two and beyond what they're going to do with her. I just, I'm very interested to see where that goes. I, I mean, I, I think that similarly, you know, this season sparked a lot of conversations um, about consent. Um, and I think that it's possible that they would go there. You know, she, her character, we've talked about this before in our episodes, has postpartum depression and depression mm-hmm. in general, which I, I did make a note that I saw her depression in this episode as like clear to me as someone who is watching a character going through, you know, mm-hmm. a depressive kind of spell. Um, it seemed to me. Um, but and and also then you know she commits suicide so I don't know if the show's gonna go that far um, I just I don't know I what do you guys not. think now that they've made us so invested in her I really don't want to yeah. see that happen I I know that's very hard because we do know that they have announced that one of the characters is not going to end up with their like other yeah. half from the books. There was like, there was a something about, they did say that one of the Bridgertons will not end up with their, like, it's an official, it's in like one of the official things talking about the show. They said one of the Mm -hmm. Bridgertons will not end up with their spouse from the books. And so that's why I'm kind of like, I read that and I knew that. And I'm just like, okay, so we have Benedict Bridgerton, who's doing his own thing, which I love. And like, mm-hmm. I want it and I'm here for that. And I'm okay with whatever direction he decides to take. But then at the same time too, Eloise, who's so very like invested in the idea of not getting married and like proclaiming it from the rooftops. And then to see Marina that we got to know her and then she ends up with Sir Philip Crane. I'm like, is this the direction? Like, is Eloise just going to take the left field here? Are we not going to get that story? Which would be a little disappointing because it's such a good story. But yeah. I'm really excited to see what they do because with the changes they've made, like they're not disappointing changes. Even as a reader who loves the book, I'm really have enjoyed all their creative licenses they've taken because I still get Mm -hmm. very much the essence of what I love from the books. So there's a lot of ideas going around. Wow. That just threw me for a loop there. Wow. (laughs) I got to think hard about that. Well, especially because Marina, if she's gone off with Philip, they're not even in London anymore, right? No. So how's she coming back next season? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I would love to see her and Sir Philip just fall in love, you know, and then Eloise can have a, a different partner. I would mm-hmm. love to see her be lesbian. Just saying. Yeah. 
It felt like there was a lot of kind of simpatico moments, obviously, between her and Benedict. And um, I hope that Benedict is not just, you know, the 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 viewer's eyes into the fact that there were some like bohemian lifestyles. I hope that maybe it's a little bit more that he's bi or queer or gay or whatever thing or, you know, questioning. I hope that they go through with some of that because it does feel very set up for it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm there for it with Eloise too, because I just, I just loved her. I thought she popped on screen. And so like, whatever, wherever she goes, I shall follow, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. she's just, she's so delightful. So I am totally on board also with Benedict being bi. In fact, I'm like calling him bi-medic yeah. already. But uh, <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily mean that he wouldn't end up with a Sophie character as well. So, you know, yeah. but I, I think it's a given that one of them is going to, one of the Bridgertons is going to be queer because it just, you know, it, I don't think it would be. representation. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be an inclusive show if they weren't. But it's going to be really interesting, too, because, I mean, you could get really dark really fast. You know, it mm-hmm. depends on how closely they hew to history. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that even came up with the, the uh, I don't remember his name, the guy, the painter guy, you know, when he said, if I love who I want to love, I could be killed for that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, and I like how you did see his dynamic because he is married and yeah. he's like, no, but we're married. Yes, but we're married to benefit the other. We're not married mm-hmm. in like the sense of the word that everyone else knows, like we're married to benefit each other and we're okay with that arrangement. And I think that that's, I just really like that they did bring that up. And as far as, you know, I've been reading more Cat Sebastian, I've been reading more KJ Charles and like, I love all the, like, Mm -hmm. I don't feel cheated by any of those storylines. Like I feel completely enthralled and loved and I love where they end because they do still end happily ever after in my book. So (laughs) I'm very interested to see how they play that going forward. Yeah, definitely. A friend of mine mentioned, you know, I would actually prefer to see it not overwhelmed by a homophobia component Mm -hmm. because a friend of mine Mm -hmm. um, was saying, you know, we're in this fantasy world where racism has been sort of taken out of the equation in terms of um, romantic relationships. So why would you take, why would you have this inclusive society with regard to race and then, but then, you know, not let Mm -hmm. queer viewers have the same experience. I think Mm -hmm. it would, it would. Yeah. So, I mean, I know that they probably will at least touch on it because it would, you know, I mean, it, it literally was illegal and, and, but it, uh, I hope they don't go over, overboard too, with it. They don't need to go too deep into the history. They can really go into the, right. the fantasy ideal world we set up. It's not a historical drama. It's a romance. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's really important because they're creating a heightened world. You know, it's like the equivalent of a Thomas Kincaid painting. That's what it looks like. You know, it, it, it's a great, but it's really pretty to look at. <laughs> and if any of our listeners want to hear more about us talking about queer happily ever afters, we actually have two episodes. We have an episode with Kat Sebastian and an episode with Olivia Waite. And we kind of got into that discussion significantly there um, and how how that works so well. 
in Regency Romance. So head on over to those episodes for more detailed discussion. But I want to talk about Anthony. <laughs> like I really All do. Right. Okay. Let's do <laughs> it. Right. Yeah, yeah we're ready. It's a main course. So for you, for you both, um, why? What's what is it about Anthony Bridgerton? And where, yeah, where are we at? <laughs> what isn't it about Anthony Bridgerton, right? I mean, yeah. here's this this guy who is he's everything that you want. He's possessive, he is family oriented, but he's so far up the scale that he doesn't realize what a mess he's making of the situation. I mean, he's doing all the wrong things, but for all the right reasons. Mm-hmm. You know? So I love that. I just love that about him. And, and, you know, I, you talked a little bit about the fact that if, if, ever, if he was so great, if he was a perfect character, we'd have nowhere to go with him in season two, but he has so much growth to, to do. And we're all going to be there for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And of course now he has the absolute wrong idea of what to go what to go do which is go marry and assiduously avoid any sort of love or romance and uh I i love the way um sienna kind of there's a lot going on with him and sienna in this episode yes and um you know she really calls him out at that last scene where she says you are lost and i can't let you set me adrift right and it's so true. He's just here's the one thing. Okay, so like he's always he's he's in a rush, right? He's in a hurry mm-hmm. to be somewhere at all times, but he has no idea where he's going. And that, like in a nutshell, is who he is. He is a contradiction of terms. He's in a hurry with nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And and Tessa, you were talking about something Sienna says. You brought it up today. Um, she says something to him about <laughs> not knowing where he's headed. And mm-hmm. she doesn't something I, I don't remember the line. Do you remember it? Yeah, he he's she tells him he's lost and right. this is when he's asking her to be with him in some respect that it doesn't really I don't think even he understands exactly what he's asking and she, you know, turns him down because he wants her to change and, and she doesn't want to change and she says, You um you're lost and I can't let you set me adrift. Too. Right. I, I wrote down that line. The yeah. the exact line is, what I know is that you are lost and I cannot allow you to set me adrift as well. Oh, there you go. So perfect. So perfect. perfect. Sienna's smart. She is. She's yeah. so smart. And she, and the thing is like, as much as, you know, she cares and loves Anthony, she's just like, exactly what you said though. Through the whole series, she's basically like, yes, but you have a different life than I do. And I don't hate my life. I like my life. Mm -hmm. If there was a way for our lives to really be together without either one of us like losing a central part of who we are, great. But she knows it would kill Anthony to lose his family, you know, and it would kill Mm -hmm. her to pretend to be something she's not and live in a world full of ridicule. And so she's one smart cookie and she's like, I'm okay with who I am. Now you need to learn how to figure Mm -hmm. out who you are. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason he really is attracted to her is because she's such a free spirit. And that's the one thing he can never be because he has so many responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And the irony is, of course, that if she said, yes, I'm yours, she's no longer free. She would be less attractive simply by being with him. Very true. No, and it's just very much like, and I loved, I loved how much we didn't like him. I loved it. (laughs) Like he really made it hard for like, he really made 
it hard for you to like him? And I was like, yes, but I'm not supposed to like you. Because I remember when we were rereading Bridgerton for the first time, and we had just decided to reread them. And we got through the Duke and I, and both Zoe and I were like, but we love Anthony. Like, he was such a jerk <laughs> in this book. Why do we love Anthony? And then we read his book and we're like, oh, we now we know because his redemption is so wonderful. Because like you said, Jody, like he does all the wrong things for the right reasons. <laughs> yeah. I never hated him here. I mean, maybe I knew it was coming, but you can't hate him. He's glowering and and just, you know, it's such a good way. For anyone who knows romance, he just has this glowing hero sign blinking over his head the whole time. So I I really think that it might just be the, the viewers who aren't familiar with the genre who are convinced that he's not redeemable or too unlikable. Um, because But it's going to prove them so wrong. And partly what Jody and I have bonded in our obsession is also... <laughs> about the actor Johnny Bailey and just like how amazing he is as an actor and how he's gonna crush it in season two just oh yes and I know he said in some (laughs) of his interviews that he he really wanted he he worked to not be afraid to let the viewer dislike Anthony right Mm -hmm. so um I think it's just not that you watched any of those or anything (laughs) Not that you've watched any of those interviews or anything. No, no, only like one or two maybe like might have caught a snippet. (laughs) You know, haven't shared every link available on the internet. (laughs) And he just, I mean, honestly, he seems like such a lovely human being that you realize what a great actor he is. Yes, yes. Right? Seriously. And I just, I don't know how they got such a perfect actor for him, like for, for, mm-hmm. for Anthony Bridgerton. I mean, I, there's not a single person on this cast that I would change. There's nobody that I look at and say, mm-hmm. that's not the character as I saw them, which is mm-hmm. insane. Mm-hmm. And then number two, there's nobody that I say, oh, well, they didn't do, give, you know, as good of a performance as X, like mm-hmm. just no one. I'm so, uh, surprised and impressed by that every time I think about the show no weak links none mm-hmm. everyone was so fabulous although I really don't feel like I know Francesca I mean I think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Poor girl. but I mean that's true to the books that's true to the books we don't know Francesca very much oh and the, it's got a great yeah no, yeah, I, I have brought that up because, you know, she disappears through half the show and then suddenly they're like, oh, and Francesca's returned. I'm like, oh, it's so great to see her finally. But I remember even getting to Francesca's book and being like, where the heck has this girl been? Like, <laughs> and then she had the most beautiful story that like brought me to tears mm-hmm. multiple times that I was like, oh, oh the dirtiest. <laughs> And look at this poor sweet girl who's playing her. And I'm like, oh, God. You know, it's so funny. I've been, I was thinking about that, though, because, like, you look at little Hyacinth and Gregory and you're like, okay, so eight seasons from now, <laughs> are they going to be using the same actors? Uh, yeah. You know, like how you wind up with, like, a child actor who then grows up and you're like, oh, God, no. I, I'm really curious to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, in in our normal episodes, when we talk about a, a book, and we've done all the Bridgerton books, um, we do our encounter counter, and we have a steaminess rating. And so Francesca's book was like, way higher than any other Bridgerton book. It's I mean, which, you know, everyone has, you know, different things they love and, and different books they love for different reasons, but it was so much steamier than It was the much steamier and by far the highest count of encounters. <laughs> well, it's not called When He Was Wicked for nothing. Definitely not. Definitely not. Her story also is so tragic, you know, the, oh, yeah. the whole arc of her story. It really is, yeah, I look at that, I looked at this poor, sweet, girl who is playing her mm-hmm. and just think oh my god you poor thing <laughs> for you yeah well why do we cool. think that she was gone this season so much any any speculation there i think it's true to the book she spent most of it in bath and i think probably also it's just one less character to take care of during I was gonna say, when would they have had time to really throw her in there i mean even hyacinth and gregory are just you know comic relief during family dinners and family Mm -hmm. gatherings yeah but yeah no i'm very interested to see what role she'll play because also in francesca's book she gets married like i think right after anthony right yeah she gets married so young and it's just like i'm not i don't think i can handle that (laughs) she's like 12 now right yeah no no because she's only a year younger than eloise they're born a year apart Eloise wow. is like 16, I think, in, in this Yeah, so Francesca's 15. Because, okay. yeah, Eloise is coming, know. like, the end. <laughs> Eloise is supposed to come out the following year. And so, she, yeah. Anyway. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's going to, it's going to be interesting to see wh- how they deal with that. Mm-hmm. Yes. So much to deal with. So many good, juicy things that Shonda can play with. And I just want to see what happens. Uh, so I thought, you know, we still, I really want to talk more about Anthony too. First of all, Tessa, you mentioned something about like whether he's really in love with Sienna or not this season and like what, you know, what we think about that. I'm curious to your guys' thoughts. Well, Jody, you, you made your point about how he's in love with this idea that she's a free spirit, but she wouldn't be anymore if they were together. I like, I think he thinks he's in love with her. I think, I think he really does believe it. And then I think when Kate comes along, he's gonna, it's gonna blow his idea of that out of the water. Actually, it's gonna hit him over the head with a, with a mallet. Yes. <laughs> Particularly the mallet what? of death. Yes. <laughs> I mentioned it in this episode. They, they, yes, uh, they, they, they talk about, about it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it also strikes me. I don't think I put together until this very moment that his love interest, Kate, is so possessive about her family. Mm-hmm. You know, right? Well, um, that's what brings them together because cool. she's there protecting yeah. her sister, and like that's just such a right. quality that they yep. share. That you know, they're both very much like yeah. family all the time. Like hers is much smaller, but. Right. Right. Her family right. dynamic is just as strong as the Bridgerton family dynamic. And she's also mm-hmm. real big on punctuality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she has a dog. She has a dog. She has a dog. Do we think, do we think they're going to get us an appropriately fat corgi? I hope to be so. Is- <laughs> I hope that casting is happening right now. <laughs> I want to see all the co- I want to see all the headshots mm-hmm. of all right. the auditioning corgis. Absolutely. 
<laughs> I hope that I hope that Jonathan Bailey has to do screen tests with. Oh them. my god! Oh yes. <laughs> and then they will leak them. Oh my god! That will yes. Be wow, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all I want is all the corgi time. I really hope you know that they do that kind of that that in the the scene or in the season so what is what else do we feel like we need to see or do we think that they're going to do or do we think that they're not going to do for season two they have to do paul mall they ha- i mean they they I mean, that's like it, central they that's central right that's also where Anthony like really realizes how kate is his match in every way shape and form because she's mm-hmm. like i see you and I'm going to end you, even if I have to end myself in the process. Mm-hmm. 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 So well said. Yeah. I mean, that scene not only makes that book, it really makes the series. It's it's um it's just the quintessential Bridgerton scene. And mm-hmm. yes. shows you how they all interact and it's just yeah, it has to be there. And so I'm so glad that they already foreshadowed it because I would be a wreck wondering if they took it out. But also, of course, all of the um, hiding under desks. Yes. Yes. And this is something because when she's hiding under the desk and he comes in with an old flame, an old opera singer's flame who's made it big, and Kate's like, oh. Do you think so? Gives Sienna a chance to come back. Yeah. Yeah, that probably will be how she comes back. Mm -hmm. You're probably right. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I don't, it's going to be hard if he's, still kind of like messing around with her it's hard for me as a romance reader romance readers don't like the guy to be i I say infidelity but it's not even infidelity because he hasn't even met kate yet or even or been to well but you know what if they start with him engaged to edwina i don't know whatever i it will it will i will have to mentally prepare myself for that but <laughs> it, it means more anthony sex scenes i'll, I'll over it. <laughs> her, isn't he about to get engaged to her? And he doesn't. He's right? trying to. Oh, trying okay, that's to. right. He's, he's not engaged. Trying to stop it. <laughs> yes, right. That's right. And if I remember right. He's the opera her, singer though. encounter. Right, right, right. But the opera singer encounter. I think she's like. I'm out. No, it's very platonic. It's very song, much right? like. Yeah. Yeah. It was. They just like chat, and you know, it's like I'm glad you're doing so well. You know, it's yeah. very like a platonic thing. Kate is just like, oh my god, am I about to hear something I don't want to hear? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that they started something, and then he realized someone's under the desk. But I guess maybe it's he time did, to he re- reread. He or- realized very quickly someone was under the desk because he went to go get the brandy, and they locked eyes. Oh, that's right. I only know this because I've been picturing it in my head like for so long. And I want to see that moment on screen where they like, he goes to get it and he looks and then they just pan to Kate under the desk, eyes wide, like, don't look at me. (laughs) I'm waiting for it. I want it. (laughs) It's going to be so good. Mm, It Uh, is. So, and then there's going to be all of our, our love scenes between Anthony and Kate, um, which like the Duke and I, it it definitely like their marriage is a big part of it. Whereas like the Viscount who loved me, their marriage is still a big part of it too. I guess it plays to it. It's not like they get married and we're at the epilogue because they get married and because she was compromised. Oh yeah. How could could we forget the B scene? (laughs) 
The B scene is pivotal. Yes. I mean, there's got to be, there's got to be suckage. Like there must be, right? Like there just must be. I want to see him full face plant in her bosom. Like I just want to see it. Isn't it like, I realized, I didn't realize until people started sort of talking about what was going to happen in season two, like the bonkersness of that whole device as a means of compromising. I mean, it's amazing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's just like you start seeing it out loud. He's like, he's afraid of bees and this bee stings her on her boob. And so he decides that he needs to (laughs) suck out the venom. And then they're interrupted by these group of women who and then they're forced to marry and and the person listening to this is just just kind it's, of it's completely the wrong thing. <laughs> like dot dot yeah. dot what yeah exactly yeah. well it's not even a group of women that composes his mother yes yeah, yeah. his mother witnesses it that's another yeah. thing in the book the duke and i when he when they're interrupted in the garden first of all both anthony and benedict are there Mm -hmm. right and he simon totally has her boob out and he's like speaking of you know so he's he's, and i remember it like daphne it's in daphne's point of view and she's like my brother saw my boob and it's like (laughs) oh my god that's so Uh, gross and i mean i can't blame her it is kind of so it's kind of weird but like now we're gonna have the same thing like my mother saw me suck on a girl's boot like this is an interesting theme to be developing i can't remember if this happens (laughs) in any of the other well you know what no because it's exactly after Colin sucks on Penelope's boob in the carriage that he's like, I would not have de- I would not behave that way with you if I did not intend to marry you. And he like yeah. just drags her in the house. Like this is the okay, we've discovered the key to getting married <laughs> to Bridgerton. It is boob sucking. Wow. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excellent. <sighs> sorry oh, um, no 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 um i'm i'm just sitting here because i'm getting my boobs sucked right now <laughs> because i'm just eating so it's just a funny conversation oh, about it. yeah you're fine um but yeah you're fine here you go um but i wanted to you know kind of for the sad part of the conversation you know, we've got all of that information with Anthony and his dad, you know, that, and I'm really interested to see how they do that and who, because my guess is we'll have some flashbacks. So my guess is we'll get um, Viscount Bridgerton, the first or the last cast. And baby, baby Anthony, we'll get, we'll get teenage Anthony, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. We will. I'm very interested to see though, because just like in the Duke and I, because for the Duke and I, like it yeah. prologues with Simon's story. Mm-hmm. with his father mm-hmm. and then this they obviously held that till episode two so i wonder yeah. if i wonder if it's like because everyone's kind of already invested in the show if they'll like start just like the book does which mm-hmm. is it starts with the death of lord bridgerton um or right. if they'll bring it up later on and like bring it into the series like as we go or maybe they'll just tell you all about it the episode where the compromising scene via b happens Maybe. Mm. I mean, that's going to be a, if they actually show him being stung and, and dying. Oh my God. Oh God. That's going to, 
That's so tragic, it, but it's, it's tragic for way, all siblings. Yeah. But, but you also, you need it. You need to understand why this guy has such an irrational fear. Yeah. Oh, yes. You know, it I mean, it, up it was entire... truly a traumatic, traumatic event. Yeah. Like, and that really under, makes you understand why he would react so, like, passionately, like, yeah. against fear. Yeah. I also think something they didn't really tap into yet, but that they will, is... You know, his fear in um, in uh, in his book that he's he will be dead at 40. Oh, yes. Like, mm-hmm. Right. They really didn't play with that at all yet. Because, mm-hmm. they, yeah, they had his whole Sienna love story. But part of the reason he's so anti love is because he's convinced he's going to be dead before he's 40 and he's not right. going to be there. So he doesn't want a wife who's going to love him because he doesn't want her to be missed. Well, one of the things that I found so interesting is that there's an author's note in that book where she talks about, and again, she wrote this book like 20 years ago. So, and and it was the second book in the series and the series didn't have like the same acclaim, you know, or fan base that it has today. So I think she's probably gotten a million responses to this author's note, but the author's note says like, you know, many of my readers may not be able to identify with why uh, Anthony, you know, so strongly felt that he would never live past his father, but this is like a fairly well-documented thing of, you know, men losing fathers close, you know, close to their age and, or, or, not close to their age, but um, at that age and fathers who they were close to and yada, yada, yada. Well, I lost my father at the same age as Anthony and in also a very like kind of surprising, uh, fast, um, unexpected way. And it was just like, you know, for me, Anthony and I are the same person mm-hmm. in, a, in a lot of ways. Obviously, I'm not a rake. Okay. But uh, <laughs> that we know. But of. like those <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, but um, his grief and the way he grieves and the the thought processes that he went through, I had so many of those same thoughts when I was young. And it just is real. I'm so excited to also see Jonathan Bailey do it because he's just going to do such a beautiful job, like such a beautiful job with all of the range of emotions that Anthony's mm-hmm. going to have to go through this next season. Have you guys watched mm-hmm. Crashing? No on Netflix. I keep talking uh, no. Jody's ear off about this show, but it's it's on Netflix. It's the first um, show that Phoebe Waller Bridges did, and it's um, just six episodes. And he plays Johnny Bailey plays the char- a character in there who is such a prat. He's he's just, <laughs> but. <laughs> He has sort of this emotional journey that he undergoes throughout the series, and he does mm-hmm. it so well. This is watching this is what convinced me he would just be amazing. Not that I doubted, but he's going to do so well as Anthony because this is completely problematic, unlikable kind of guy, obnoxious, totally not like Anthony at all. But um, mm-hmm. but this guy who had you know sort of underlying issues and a journey to take and he just nails every note in it it's amazing and i i just can't imagine that he won't knock this out of the park i saw an interview where he said he had gone in to read for simon and and said oh you're gonna be anthony and he probably was like uh (laughs) (laughs) i I actually think it's a better, it's, I think it's a better part. I mean, not only yeah. are you, you know, you're not just the love interest, you're the main character, but there are so many layers to play with. Mm-hmm. And Simon, yes. I mean, God bless him, but he is a little bit like, 
you know, a one note guy to me a little bit, you know, he's got his problem and he's very focused on, I'm not having any babies and that's it. You know? Yeah. So I thought Simon reggae, John, like he, played it beautifully like I mean that's who Simon was to me like but just Mm -hmm. like you said like Simon was very like serious quiet like he was very much like quiet intensity and Mm -hmm. Anthony's very much like not Mm -hmm. (laughs) right and there's a lot of layers to Anthony because he has taken on some responsibility at a young age so Well, right. I mean, part of Simon's problem is that he's all alone in the world. So mm-hmm. for the most part, so he doesn't have a group of people around him that he's trying to be responsible for or interact with. Right. So he is pretty much defined by his relationship with Daphne in the whole story. And mm-hmm. whereas Anthony has a lot of stuff going on. And I really think they did a good job with that in the first season with his the scenes between him and Violet were really good. And they really showed the... Um, what they're both going through, you know, they both had this mm-hmm. incredibly painful loss and neither one of them can quite be who Edmund was, Edmund, right? Mm-hmm. For, to the other, but somehow they have to, right. to work together uh, to keep the family moving and, and nobody else in the family really understands that strain I mean, because they've protected them from it in a way. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's... Um, it's a really interesting relationship. And I thought they teased it out quite well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Violet Bridgerton, man, she did, did so well. She, she I was just thinking of her. She's a great character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tessa, you also mentioned some speculation maybe about some Dom. Oh, I think we're totally going to get that in Anthony's story. I mean, it's there in the Sienna story. And he's talked about that in interviews too, how there's sort of this interplay of control throughout the scenes with Sienna where, you know, in some places he's the one who's like, you know, taking control and just grabbing her and kissing her or whatever. But then, you know, that scene under the stands at the boxing match, she is totally, mm-hmm. you know, got him up against like his hands are over his head even. And mm-hmm. she's like ripping his clothes off and he, he is so into it. He is <laughs> so into it. So I would not be surprised at all if we get that because First of all, he and Kate are so well matched that, mm-hmm. you know, she part of her whole character is that she gives as good as she gets with him. And I think it just is a really perfect way to take it in terms of, um, you know, he has so much responsibility and so much power that society has given to him. And obviously, he's just so stressed by it. And mm-hmm. um, and relinquishing that in the bedroom would be. I think something that appeals to him. So there's my theory. I could be wrong, but I hope I'm not. I think that would be such a great dynamic. And I think would really bring those scenes even more power to them. Because like, I remember Anthony and Kate's book was pretty steamy. Like it was definitely a pretty steamy story. So I'd love to see Mm -hmm. how like that interchange between them goes, because definitely they are well matched in many ways. I would love to see Kate take control. I, yeah, I think it's time for Anthony to, to let somebody manage him a little mm-hmm. bit because he hasn't been doing the best job of it himself. <laughs> Fair enough. I think also that reminded me of like Kate's rainstorm scenes. Yeah. Um, and if we're all saying Kate, 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 but like, has there been any casting they, like confirmation? They are casting a Kate Sheffield. Apparently they're looking for someone. They're going to bring even more diversity to the cast. 
And so they're yeah. talking about right. having her be of like either Asian, like subcontinent, Indian, Asian, something like that. Fabulous. We just need the spirit as long. Mm-hmm. And so far they've, they've yeah. cast all the right spirit mm-hmm. yeah. in all these roles. And yeah. That's just. That'd be great. I, don't you trust them implicitly after what they did oh, this yeah. time? Oh, absolutely. I totally I've do. got full yeah. trust in them. Yeah. So much trust. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird because I've never felt this way about a fandom before, you know, I mean, I, I have a lot of, you know, fantasy fandoms that I've loved or, or other things that have come to life. And I'm just like, there's no way they're not going to get this. I know it's just going to be like seeing my favorite characters come to life and it's going to be very different, but Bridgerton really delivered really did. <laughs> so it did well. not disappoint not in the slightest mm-hmm. i can't remember an adaptation of anything that i felt was as well done as this i mean i i it could be selective memory because it's so recent <laughs> recency bias and all that but um yeah just in terms of because i can't remember who said it now but it, it, they added you know, nothing they added was out of spirit mm-hmm. with what was already there. And they did it with a lot of respect for the original material. And mm-hmm. it just um, it just took the world that was already there and and enriched it and broadened it instead of replacing it. And mm-hmm. um, it's just it's just amazing. They did such yeah. a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I can't wait for season two. I mean, I, I, it's going to be like, sorry, but it's going to be so much better than season one. And I loved season one, but like, I, I feel the same way about the book. I loved the Duke and I, but I loved so many mm-hmm. of the other books even mm-hmm. more. And like the brilliance of the first season is they took a lot of the, of what you get by reading all the books and, you know, put all those background characters and gave you that foundation, you know, to make you excited first you know, subsequent series. And so I'm just so excited. (laughs) And yeah, more Jonathan Bailey is like, yeah, thanks. Lovely. (laughs) You can't have the Bridgerton family without its, you know, patriarch? Patriarch of sorts, right? That's the problem is that being a patriarch in a patriarchal world. I love love Johnny Bailey for this too, because he always talks about how, you know, he sees Anthony's character in terms of toxic masculinity and not being allowed to express his feelings. And, um, and I just love that take on it because it's so true. It is. Mm -hmm. These guys just need to learn to hug. And then that's what the, the (laughs) heroine is there. They learn to (laughs) hug and talk about their feelings. Exactly. Who knew? But instead, they'll go box and shoot yep. and, yep. <laughs> cool. you know. Cool with their best Let's friends. Talk. and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Because this is the perfect way to solve a problem. Let's just go shoot at each other tomorrow morning. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So uh, before we get to our, to- you know, our wrap up here, um, is there anything else about Anthony that we would be remiss if we didn't speculate or say or... Have we have we covered Anthony pretty well? How many hours do you have? <laughs> I mean, you guys heard my baby fussing no, earlier, so kidding. I have less hours. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm just I'm kidding. I would I would honestly love to talk about Anthony all day and all of this yeah, all day. I mean, but we've we've managed to keep talking about this show for uh, eight episodes of our own podcast. So, <laughs> but it's like it's joy. It is pure joy. 
You and know? everyone I've talked to and right. everyone, not even just everyone we've talked to, it's just been like this. It's like, well, let's talk about this. Yeah. Oh, but what about this? Right. Oh my gosh, this. Right. Right. I always say it looks like it looks like the fondant on a beautiful cake, like a beautifully iced cake when you watch it and it tastes like that. It's like pure sugar, but in the best way, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it is, it's just, it's like a happy place right now when people need a happy place. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you're eating, you're like, we deserve this. You know, I think that's another yeah. thing about it. It's like, yes. it is, it's this treat that we've been needing and waiting and finally get it. And it's like, we, we yes. earned this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it is yeah. it's just joy to talk about it and and feel excited and for me especially you know as a writer of historical romance it just reignites all those happy flutters and makes you remember why it is that you fell in love with the genre and want to write it um so i i just bawled the whole way through it i the first time watching i cried like real big tears in a lot of places. And I I just, I think it was, it was like this catharsis of a whole year of struggling to kind of keep the faith in a year that was, you know, when you're doing, mm-hmm. when your job is happy endings and you go through a year like that, it's kind of rough to, to remember like what you're doing and why. And mm-hmm. having that huge infusion of bliss in pretty dresses and with chivalry and just gorgeous sets and such beautiful acting and so much emotion. Um, It just made me just dissolve into tears. And uh, (laughs) I, I, I just, I was really grateful for it. And I think a lot of people probably feel that way, but for me, it was like, especially (laughs) meaningful in that way. I, you know, when it, it came out on Christmas day, and I was like trying to run away from my family on Christmas so that I could sneak in an episode. <laughs> and I kept like, you know, running away from my kids and hiding in a room just so I could watch it because I had been waiting for it for so long. And, you know, then once I started, I would binge until I could, you know, see anymore. And I'd go to sleep and I'd wake up and go, ah, I'm not in reach to England. It was the perfect escape. Yeah. I really wonder how much it's going to influence pop, pop culture and fashion mm. in the next few years. Like, are we going to see a lot of more sideburns? Are, <laughs> are, are microbangs going to be in? Like, oh, <laughs> return of Empire Waste. What's going to mm. happen? Um, I, I really... I, it's such a big phenomenon. It's um, it's wild. It is. I mean, even my mother and my 90-year-old grandma watched it and loved it. Yeah, it's been amazing to see the diversity of viewers that have been loving mm-hmm. this show. Mm-hmm. And people who, yeah, who aren't romance right. readers, but also just like different ages and genders and orientations and, you know, mm-hmm. people that really would never have thought that they would like this like it. And I think that they did a really good combination of, you know, creating this fantasy world that would identify with today's people. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I think, I think romance that does exactly that, you know, in kind of all the time span genres of romance, like you find things to identify with, but like, you know, they, they did a good job with, you know, bringing in the contemporary music because people, um, you know, people Mm -hmm. identified with that. it. It wasn't, I, smart. See, and see, I didn't, 
I didn't love it, but I thought it was super smart and the right choice. Yeah. But like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, it drew so many and it was, it came at the right time. Like you guys said, like it came at the time that everybody needed it. And so that's why I think more people really found it and discovered it. And it's just like, it's so cool. <laughs> So we kind of talked about it earlier, but is there anything else you guys want to say or what you think about like what this is going to do for romance on screen? Well, I I actually think it's really important because there are a lot of people who will read romance like, you know, it, it's the quintessential, you hide the book inside the other book so people don't know that you're reading it or you read it on your Kindle so nobody knows you're reading it because there is sort of this... Um, I, I, there's, it's not a stigma, but there's something about romance that isn't considered as serious as highbrow. And that's exactly the point. The point is that it is an escape and it's a breath and it's a way to just, you know, toss aside any, any kind of need to equivocate or worry or, um, you know, you, you're, you're in safe hands when you read a romance because you know what you're getting at the end. And I know that when the pandemic started, I could, I read everything and I could not read. I couldn't read more than a page at a time of any book. <laughs> and the books that got me back into being able to read were romance novels. And it was in retrospect that I went, oh, right. I get it. I needed that happily ever after because I don't see one anytime soon. And mm -hmm. that was really helpful for me. And I've heard of so many people who kind of found their way back to romance because of what we're going through in the world right now. And I think that, you know, what made Bridgerton so smart, and they had, of course, they had no idea that they were doing this or releasing this during a pandemic, but they are mm -hmm. educating people about how to fall in love with the genre they may not know or may have previously been ashamed of or been told they should be ashamed of. And by making it cool and hip and by making it um, inclusive and by having things like the music, you know, Ariana Grande done up with a string quartet. What they're doing is is showing you we are not just creating the world of Jane Austen. What we're creating is the world the way we imagine it could have been if everything was awesome, you know. And it it is. It's like it's this this very heightened look at something that's that's just um, it's beautiful to look at. It's something you can't take your eyes away from, and so you just tumble into it. So I, I what I love about it is that it's made it's made room for romance in pop psyche in a positive way. I'm done now. Very oh, well said. Thank you. Ooh, Mike. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, we've had so much fun and, and we've already said we could talk about this all day, but um, we should wrap up <laughs> and um, we'd love to have you back for Anthony's oh, yeah. season. I don't know when that's going to be. We'll be but, back. Uh, <laughs> Wonderful. All right. <laughs> They're going to tease us all year long. As soon as filming begins, we're going to get all mm -hmm. these little snippets of like Johnny Bailey playing with the corgi and like, it's just going to kill us. It's just, they're going to torture us. The they're going to have day. the siblings with their Paul Mall mallets. Oh and we're gosh. just going to be like, ah, oh my gosh. Everybody is yeah. like, it's going to be sold out all online. Paul, like yeah. croquet sets are going to be gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be like, the queen's gambit in chess exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 
is there a croquet oh. uh, society of uh, <laughs> international <laughs> croquet league or something? Because they better uh, get ready. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Oh my goodness. They don't know what's coming. (laughs) Oh goodness. Well, um, we can't thank either of you guys enough. Um, And if our listeners want to find out more about you, um, Tessa, where can our listeners find you? TessaDare.com. It's got links to all my social and anything else you might want to know. And how about you, Jody? The very creative (laughs) JodyPico.com. Also links to everything. And we will link to those in the show notes and you should follow them both on Twitter though, because that's where like the John Bailey discussions really happen. <laughs> this stuff happens in the DMs, but <laughs> <laughs> the stuff that's not too, too uh, frightening to share is, uh, is in the, <laughs> enjoying my Portuguese with the Viscount lessons. <laughs> yes. I've been seeing those. I've got to. I've got to get better at translating them every time I see them because <laughs> I think there's some juicy stuff in there. <laughs> Trying to learn every Portuguese double entendre. That's my. Goal. <laughs> I think it's an admirable goal. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so thank you all so much for listening today. Um, we hope you'll be back with us next week. We are going to maybe be here. We might actually be taking a week off, um, but we're recording this ahead of time. So who knows, (laughs) but, uh, we are going to be reading a book next week, which we haven't done in a whole month. So we hope you all join us for that book and that'll be listed in our show notes, but it is as to yet be decided. So thank you all for listening and join us next week. And may all your ever afters end happily. Tea and Strumpets is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Yeah, I'm so excited. Oh my goodness. What's her name? Her name is actually Serafina. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, it's a very beautiful. romantic name. It is. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Oh, What's going on? Sarah McLean wrote a Serafina, right? So did, so did, uh, <laughs> you have one in a book? Yeah, Between the Lines. It was a YA series that I wrote oh with my, my daughter. Gosh. Oh, yeah, so yeah. It's uh, this year there was a Serafina also that came out. I admit it was um, the Ray Kess. But uh, anyhow, oh. after I um, the, the, it made it onto my list after reading that book, but it is not named after. Although that's a fine thing to be named after too. <laughs> <laughs> so um, oh, it's all good. I'm gonna feed her. Thank you, mom. <laughs> all right. So sorry. Um, feel free to continue. I'll get set up and. Woo! <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah.